In 2010, West Virginia University shocked the country with a Big East Tournament Championship and a Final Four run. This is the Final Forecast, 10 years later special. A series dedicated to honoring one of the greatest basketball teams in Mountaineer basketball history. Now, over to our host, Jeff Coyle. Hey everybody, I'm Jeff Coyle. I was one of the reporters 10 years ago who got to travel with this team on a journey through the Big East Tournament and Final Four runs. In this special series, we're going to take a look back at the magical run from the very start. We'll cover the preseason preparation, the regular season wins, and a few losses, all the way through the run to the Big East Tournament title and an NCAA Tournament Final Four. You'll hear from the players and coaches who are right in the middle of it, draining last-second shots, drawing up scouting reports, and making lighthearted videos for fans to watch all around the world. This team changed the trajectory of West Virginia University basketball. Ten years later, it still provides fans with lasting memories, just as vivid as they were a decade ago. The 2009-2010 Mountaineers finished ranked number three in the nation following that Final Four run. They earned the school's first and only Big East Tournament championship, and we were singing country roads with thousands of Mountaineer fans in Madison Square Garden. They made it all the way to Indianapolis, where the city turned gold and blue, flooded with Mountaineers celebrating the program's first Final Four since 1959. Ten Years Later is brought to you exclusively by the Book Exchange, where Mountaineers go since 1934. Choose from the largest selection of Mountaineer gear in the state of West Virginia, with thousands of styles from brand favorites Nike, Champion, Columbia, and more. Shop at either Morgantown location, downtown at 152 Willie Street, or Evansdale at 342 Pattison Drive, or purchase online at bookexchangewv.com. We all know the phrase, once a Mountaineer, always a Mountaineer. And this Final Four team may embody that phrase more than any other. And when you get down to it, this was a team full of recruits who took a chance on West Virginia the same way the program took a chance on them. They adopted the intensity of their head coach and a pride for their state. And they rode that effort and passion all the way to the Final Four. Today, many of them still return to campus each year as proud alumni, and some have even permanently moved to the Mountain State. This team is widely known as the group that helped build Hugs House at WVU. They've got their own locker room in the indoor practice facility on campus to prove it. And this team still bleeds gold and blue, even a decade later. And this team, as Coach Bob Huggins would say, helped begin a new era of expected excellence at WVU. Head coach Bob Huggins. Well, I think they, they, they put us on a, on a national stage. I, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. They've, they, they put us on a national stage so that people uh, could forget whatever stereotypes they may have and see that uh, we are great, great people, first of all. And secondly, we had 
we can compete with anybody in the country. And and I think they they showed that. And that's, you know, it's uh, once you do it, you should really be able to, to do it again. And The grit and determination needed to be great began in early 2009 in Alex Ruoff's final game. It was a loss in Minneapolis to Dayton in the NCAA tournament. The six-seeded Mountaineers were stunned in that game. It's been well documented before just how much of a challenge traveling to that NCAA tournament was, and it all ended in disappointment. Perhaps that disappointment was actually what set the next year's team up for success. A fire was lit. The goal? Don't underperform again. Sophomore guard Truck Bryant. Yeah, we knew it could be special after we got off to like a hot start and I mean, we knew we knew we could be special, but to be honest, Alex Roof was a big part of that team the year before. So I mean, we didn't know that we would be that good, but we knew it would be good. The Mountaineers were without their vocal leader in Ruoff, but that didn't leave them without talent. In fact, WVU returned the entire roster and added some key components in the offseason. Sophomore forward Kevin Jones. The end of my freshman year was very disappointing because uh I think uh, people had us going a lot farther than just the first round and losing to Dayton. So, um, yeah, that was a disappointing end. But then it was also a chance to look forward to uh, an exciting summer and getting back out on the court. Uh, and we knew we had a, a great team coming back along with the freshmen uh, that we had coming in with uh, Danny Turk and, uh, and Dalton. And I think we we all headed into that uh, preseason with a chip on our shoulder. And we knew that we had the talent to go far. We didn't know how far we would go, but um, we all knew that uh, we had the talent to do something special. The Mountaineers returned their leading scorer, Deshaun Butler, who averaged 17 points per game as a junior. He was the established leader, somebody who didn't necessarily lead with his voice, but rather his actions and practice. Junior forward John Flowers. Deshaun was by far the hardest worker on the team. That's one thing I can say about Deshaun. So when he shot the ball at the end of games and stuff like that, like no one could say anything about how many shots he took or whatever because he was by far the hardest worker on the team. He would come in like an hour or two hours before practice, every practice, and he would be sweating up a storm before practice even started, before a three-hour practice, you know what I mean? And he would be getting up shots and working hard. And I really looked at that like, like wow, like, couldn't be me because I would have died in practice. I don't know how he's doing it, but he was the man. And I think Hugs wanted that out of him, you know, and Hugs saw the potential in him because he was a, a really good player. So, and, you know, that was my, my one of my closest friends off the, off the court. I think that year, he had a girlfriend though, so we really didn't really go out and stuff a lot more. But he used to bring the whole team over to his house and stuff, and we used to, you know, we used to have fun that way. But before that, we used to go out a lot, get a lot of girls, just because I'm with Deshaun Butler. You know what I mean? After an impressive but not necessarily surprising first year on campus, Devin Ebanks was back for his sophomore year after averaging nearly 11 points and eight rebounds as a freshman. He was a member of what would end up being a versatile lineup that many teams just didn't know how to handle. Fellow rising sophomores Truck Bryant and Kevin Jones came alive toward the end of their freshman seasons, and they were developing into more prominent players. For this team to be as good as its number eight ranking in the preseason polls, 
these guys would need to be at their best. Um, Chuck and Devin and KJ, they they really grew up that year. Uh, I think KJ really took took it to heart to grow up after that tournament loss because Hugs called him out in the locker room after the game because he was sick. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know the story, but uh, he was sick during that uh, tournament game that we lost. And uh, Hugs basically called him out and called him soft, basically. So he really grew up. Ebanks grew up. Uh, e- Ebanks could have went to the NBA that year, but he decided to stay. So I know he stayed for a reason. You know, he didn't want to – he wanted to win. And then Chuck is Chuck, so Chuck has something to prove. <laughs> and, you know, so our, our freshman really grew up. And, you know, and we also came close together, you know, staying that extra year with him and having him around, so – now, Butler wasn't the only senior or the only leader on this squad. Wellington Smith and Joe Mazzula joined him as key veterans. Both were known less for their all-around ability and more for their specific roles. Their presence helped keep the team level-headed and focused. Smith spent the offseason perfecting his outside shot and practicing how to literally take one for the team. At six foot seven, two hundred forty-five pounds, he matched up nearly every game against players who were admittedly bigger and stronger than he was. Missoula was coming off of serious shoulder surgery, and it was well reported that he went from shooting free throws with his left hand to his right in order to compensate. By now, you already know how much of a legend Joe Missoula is. But in the summer of 2009, it was probably more likely that he'd never play for the Mountaineers again than it would be for him to earn the MVP of the NCAA Tournament's East Regional. In sports, we talk about glue guys, those players that help keep the team together. They find ways to make plays when they're needed, and that was rising junior John Flowers. A defensive stalwart, number 41 was a jokester, a motivator, and the glue that has kept this team together for all these years. And that's funny because Flowers actually thought, if only for a few moments, about transferring. So the beginning of that season, it was uh, it was kind of weird. Uh, we just came off of the the previous season. We lost in the first round of the tournament against Dayton, I think. So we lost to Dayton in, uh, in the first round. I think I was actually t- thinking about, like, transferring and leaving because I didn't think they wanted me there, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I think everyone was really hungry to, you know, just make up for – losing the first round. The Mountaineers welcomed two new faces to the team in the summer of 2009, junior college guard Casey Mitchell, a star shooter, and forward Dennis Kalichla, a hook shot machine from Istanbul, Turkey. Kalichla, sadly, was unable to play for much of the year because of NCAA eligibility rules. But when he did, he made his presence felt right from game one. But more on that later. Mitchell was the team's best outside shooter, and that says a lot considering his 257 three-point attempts that season, which was one of the best totals in school history at the time. The rest of the roster was made up of Cam Thurman, Johnny West, Dalton Pepper, Dan Jennings, Cam Payne, and Brian Lowther. Assistant coach Billy Hahn. I think there was several things that went into the, the equation that made us successful, uh, First of all, that was a very coachable basketball team. Second, there was no egos on that basketball team. They 
cared about each other and wanted to play for each other. And nobody was worried about my numbers or what I was getting point-wise and that type of thing. The next thing was they were a very mentally tough group that did not panic or worry about things and things weren't going good as the game of basketball, as we all know, there are spurts in the game of basketball. And if there was a negative spurt going on, that team never got down. That team stayed consistent, kept playing. And then the last thing, I thought our defense and I thought our rebounding was tremendous with that basketball team. So you put all those things together, that makes for a Final Four championship type team. Future Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins led this team in his third season back at his alma mater. He brought with him a staff of assistants who have won, well, just about everything you can think of, including Larry Harrison, Billy Hahn, and Eric Martin. They could all make shots. They could all pass. They all uh, understood how to play, which was which was really key. If you can pass and you understand how to play, you can you can overcome a lot of obstacles. Assistant coach Larry Harrison. Well, we had a good good nucleus and. You know, were we thinking Final Four and National Championship? Um, probably not at that particular time. We just we just wanted to get off to a good start and looking at the schedule, playing in the Big East, we knew it was going to be a challenge. A national championship was on their minds right from the very beginning that season. The expectation was clear. You go back from the very beginning of the first practice, the very beginning of the season. I don't know if people really understand this, but Every time we ended practice and every time we entered a, a meeting or something, we always put our hands together as a group and we always said national champions. That was what we always said. Whether it was we were playing good, playing bad, whatever, every time we broke a team type thing, we always said national champs, national champions. So I, I think it because we said so much and that we believed that, that after the Syracuse game, I mean, why wouldn't we leave? we would win the national championship? Now, sure, that was the expectation. But there's a difference between expectations and what to realistically expect. And, well, this team was coached by Bob Huggins, after all, so the players knew what was most important. Senior forward Wellington Smith. You know what? I don't think we, we really figured that we were going to be a Final Four team. I think it was just... Let's just win as many games as possible. Let's try not to make hugs mad, you know, or faint or whatever, right? And let's just be the best team that we can be. I think after a while, we realized, oh, like we can, we can actually make a run at this. I think it happened for me at least um, once we won the Big East championship. Yeah, I think that cemented, um, you know, my thoughts on how far we think you know we can go. West Virginia slowly climbed the rankings through the first two months of the schedule, starting the season 11-0. and 0. It was the best start the Mountaineers had enjoyed since 1957. 11-0 and 0 wasn't easy, though, and this is a trend that you'll see throughout our series. There were a few easy wins, but this team won with defense and with clutch plays from its leaders. And it may sound cliche, but they won as a team. Junior guard Joe Mazzula. You know, I don't. We, we never really talk about what our expectations for the season were. I think the one thing that was was evident was Hugs's identity was on the program, the way he wanted to play, 
And I think he was most comfortable with the mix of players that he had. You know, we still had a number of the guys from who were with Coach Beeline, so they brought a level of, um, you know, just basketball IQ and skill to the games in which we were running our five-out offense and we're able to bring in some more athleticism and some length and uh, inside presence with, with KJ and Ebanks and Truck and a few of those guys. So I think the biggest thing that Hugs was excited about and something that we noticed was that – this was the team that he wanted. Um, it was what he envisioned in coming back to West Virginia, having skill, having length, having athleticism, having toughness, and then obviously having a few players that could just go get you a, a basket when you needed it. And then we were just going to worry about taking care of that. The Mountaineers cruised through their first three games of the season against Loyola, Maryland, the Citadel, and Long Beach State by an average of 22 points. That set up the fourth game of the season in the semifinals of the 76 Classic in Anaheim with Texas A&M. In his first game of the season, Ebanks made two crucial steals in the final minute to secure a seven-point win over the Aggies and give them their first loss of the season. In the very next game, the Mountaineers proved they were capable of winning a trophy. They got their first in-season tournament title with an 84-66 win over Portland. Butler was named the MVP of the tournament, and Jones joined him on the all-tournament team. Back at the Coliseum in early December, West Virginia dominated both Duquesne and Coppin State before a tricky road game against Cleveland State. The Vikings showed a full-court defense that seemed to wear West Virginia out in the second half. After leading by 13 at the break, Cleveland State tied the game at 78 with just 15 seconds left. For the first time this season, Butler scored a game-winning bucket. This time, with 1.2 seconds left, he drained a layup to earn an 80-78 win. Now, that victory was by no means convincing, but it was perhaps the start of the greatest four months of Butler's basketball career. It didn't get easier either. The Mountaineers, who were at the time ranked 6th in the country, welcomed 15th-ranked Ole Miss to the Coliseum two days before Christmas. The Rebels averaged more than 85 points per game at the time, but they were held to just 66 by a WVU defense that was led by its forwards. Wellington Smith scored a team-high 19 points in a 10-point victory. The day after Christmas, the Mountaineers were treated with a trip to Newark, New Jersey for their Big East opener against Seton Hall. Despite Jeremy Hazel's 41-point game, which was the first time an opponent had scored 40 points against WVU since 1993, the Mountaineers were able to walk out of the Prudential Center with a six-point victory. Ebanks was particularly strong. He recorded a double-double for the second straight game. Jones hit a corner three in overtime to give WVU an insurmountable lead. But the fact that the Mountaineers blew a 10-point second-half advantage made the 10-0 record seem less exciting than it might have otherwise been. You surely remember the next game winner from Butler, as it came in the final seconds of a 63-62 win at the Coliseum over Marquette. That is a miss, and the Mountaineers have the basketball. They don't have any timeouts remaining. 62-61, Marquette with the lead. Butler turns, shoots a three, got it! He hit it! Oh, my God! 
The Mountaineers made up a five-point deficit in the final minute, and Butler's long jumper earned WVU its best start to a season in five decades. Again, it was all too close. After starting the season with blowout victory after blowout victory, the Mountaineers' margin of victory between December 19th and December 29th was less than five points, and two of those wins came on Butler game winners. The other one was in overtime. And West Virginia had yet to get into the true difficulty of a Big East schedule. Games against Notre Dame, Syracuse, Pitt, Villanova, UConn, and Georgetown all showed up on the Mountaineers' schedule in the next three months. And a few of those showed up twice. All that being said, WVU was 11-0, ranked in the top 10 throughout the entire first two months of the season after a pretty difficult non-conference schedule. Coach Hugs is uh, notorious for his uh, strength of schedule, so we knew we rarely had a game off, if any. So uh, it just always taught us to focus and you know, uh, take it one game at a time because you're you're gonna have a tough slate of games in the Big East. Every every game is is gonna be a grind. So take it one game at a time. Not get too high, not get too low. And I think we had the right amount of veterans with uh with Deshaun and um, Wellington, and you know even some of the guys, the juniors like John and and Joe and and everything that uh we had the right mentality going into every game, whether win or lose. We knew that we were ready, and sometimes the uh, the other team was just better that night. But I don't think there was one time where we can say that we weren't prepared for a game. So I think that was the biggest thing, is just being prepared for every game and giving yourself the best chance to win. They were on track to be one of the best teams in school history. But first, number six West Virginia had to travel to West Lafayette, Indiana to face fourth-ranked Purdue. That's where we'll begin episode number two of 10 Years Later, a look back at the WVU Final Four run. Thanks for listening to the show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Final Forecast or call us at 304-807-9098.